Hey everyone, welcome to The Lab. This is 538's NBA podcast for the week of January 10th, 2017. My name is Neil Payne. I write about sports for 538. I'll be your host today. And as always, I'm joined by my co-podcasters. First up in studio, we've got 538 sports writer Kyle Wagner. Hey, Kyle. Hey, Neil. And on the line from Chicago, very exhausted fellow 538 sports writer, Chris Herring. Hey, Chris, how you hanging in there? Hey, Neil, how are you? I'm a little tired. How are you? Yeah, you know, I think we're all sort of battling our, our illnesses and various things. It used to be just Kyle who was sick, and so I, I think I uh, picked up something, too. I'm not going to throw Kyle under the bus and... And say that I got it from him. Throw totally him under the bus. Him. Throw him under. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm feeling great. I'm, yeah. I'm oh, you feel okay. The I, one I, time, the I, one. Show. I changed the air filter in like my air filter, I guess, at home, and like for the first time in like two years, and uh, big change. Big wow. Change, big change. Okay. All right. Well, uh, at least one of us is at 100 percent today. Uh, and on today's show, we're going to talk about a lot of basketball things. First of all, we're going to discuss the Minnesota Timberwolves where they are relative to expectations, whether they can improve on defense finally, and if this is finally the year they make the playoffs and perhaps even realistically contend in the Western Conference. We'll also bring you a small sample on Steph Curry's flat-out ridiculous numbers since returning from injury. But first, let's hit the headlines. LeVar Ball was in Lithuania over the weekend getting ready to watch his sons Leangelo and LaMelo make their professional basketball debuts, but that did not stop the elder Ball from also waking up early to watch his other son, Lonzo, play for the Lakers, who were in the midst of a nine-game losing streak, and LeVar was not shy about what he saw of the team and his opinion about Lakers coach Luke Walton. He said, you can see they're not playing for Luke anymore. Luke doesn't have control of the team. They don't want to play for him. He went on to say that's a good team, but nobody wants to play for him. I can see it. Nobody high fives when they're coming out of the game. People don't know why they're in the game. He's too young. He's not connecting with any of the players. Uh, so we'll address the substance of LeVar's criticism in a second. But first, uh, I wanted to ask you guys, who didn't see this kind of thing coming with LeVar Ball? Isn't this kind of the deal you make with the devil when you draft Lonzo Ball? LeVar is sort of part of the package that comes with that, and you know he's going to say things about the team, especially when it's not winning. This might have been the most obvious development of the whole season. I think everybody, you know, I did the, the podcast earlier in the year where I went out to L.A. to talk to Jeannie Buss. It's one of the first questions I asked her. Magic Johnson addressed this and said that he talked to Lonzo Lonzo's dad uh, about this, LeVar, obviously, and kind of just said, look, I get that you have to do what you do from a business standpoint. You have to market. You're a marketer. But at the end of the day, this comes down to your son and letting him be a basketball player and letting him grow as a basketball player in a good environment. And basically, Magic said we had a heart to heart and, you know, he's much different in person. Mm, You know, I haven't really spent any one on one time with LeVar. been in media scrums with him, but this kind of suggests to me that privately, either he is the same person probably, or that he says one thing to Magic and then does another when he gets the opportunity to. There's no reason to assume that he's going to quiet down about this. Um, his son has been on this team for less than three or four full months, and to assume now that even as Lonzo is really starting to improve, and you would think maybe it would be a time to kind of quiet down a little bit more and just let the good times roll from that standpoint, uh, I, I just don't really see any upside here. And I also don't see how or why there would have been any assumption that LeVar was going to quiet down. The Lakers kind of saw that too. I think they recently put in place that media policy, basically banning reporters from talking to LeVar at Laker games. 
So, I mean, they, they definitely saw this coming too. It, it, it's kind of a shock that, um, that other people are so shocked about it now or that it's continuing to be talked about when clearly there are people that care about it one way or the other. You either hate them or you love them, but people feel very passionately about this guy. Right. I mean, to me, this would make more sense if Lonzo were still playing the way that Lonzo was playing in the first few weeks of the season. Uh, and we talked about that. He had historically bad shooting numbers, but those have actually gotten a little bit better. He's turned things around a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. So there was a thing uh, just a while back where Leangelo Ball was in China and there was a shoplifting incident and like LeVar Ball caused a big ruckus about that and like there was a lot of media attention and uh, like that to me was him just taking the heat on that just being like, okay, we're not going to talk about my son, like what's going on here, we're just going to talk about, you know, me, you know, causing a big stir. Changing the message. Right. And so if Ball were just playing the way he is, he was at the beginning of the season, that would make more sense to me where LeVar was just like, okay, we're, my son's having a rough rookie year. We're going to, you know, take all the attention and make it on this instead of the play. But, uh, like he was good in December. He shot 37, almost 38% from three. Uh, the field goal percentage overall was better. Just the assist, like the, just the play was overall better. And so, like, yeah, he missed a couple games, but it seemed like the Lakers, and especially Lonzo, were just getting their their footing here, and so it just didn't seem like the right time for this. Yeah, it's, it doesn't seem like there was anything to create that smoke screen of media attention to cover up. Uh, you mentioned Lonzo playing better. Is, is he playing more like a guy who's actually worth putting up with all this outside noise? I know one of the considerations of drafting him and knowing that his father was going to create so much attention was, well, he's going to play well enough and be enough of a prospect to offset that, and then he played so poorly at the beginning of the season that that may have looked in doubt but now has he kind of stabilized and maybe seems like well you can put up with some degree of lavar because lonzo has shown the potential to, to actually be a franchise player I, I mean the thing is that he's even when he's playing poorly there's still a lot of potential there i mean i think we're starting to get used to these one and done guys where even you know we were just talking last week about Andre Drummond and these guys that come out so young and then you look up five or six years later and you forget that they're still only 23 or 24 years old. Alonzo is logging triple doubles, which granted there are more opportunities to log those sorts of games. Now we've talked about the big stat games uh, and how that's changed over the last two or three years. But to do that as a rookie and to do it more than once, to do it two or three times in the first couple months of a career, we know how rare that is. We know how rare it is to, you know, even last night to look up and see that he's got eight rebounds and eight assists. He doesn't even log enough points to get a triple double necessarily, but almost gets there through other means, through getting steals and, and impacting the game in different ways. Uh, the flow that the team has, whether or not the numbers really back it up or not, you, you can see the makings of something there. And that's without him being a dynamite shooter yet. Yes, he shot much better. I think he's been over 40%. For the last six or seven games, he's definitely been close to 40% over the last 15 or so. But you just see stuff coming together for him a little bit. Little changes, like his, his shot looks better, aside from the fact that it's going in more. It just looks more fluid than it did at one point. It's not taking him as long. He's not uh, second-guessing himself on the jump shot. So stuff is coming for him little by little. Uh, he's a first-round pick. And I think the, the biggest thing you really have to take into account here. More often than not, we talk about guys that are distractions. We're normally talking about the guy. We're talking about the guy's father. And so that's what makes this a little odd is that how much of this can you hold against him when he literally is probably the most quiet big name in the NBA? 
he really doesn't say anything to the media. It looks like pulling teeth to actually ask him questions because he always answers in one sentence responses. But his dad is the polar opposite. And so that's what makes this challenging. But I, I, I definitely don't think Luke Walton made the joke the other day. He said that he was sitting Lonzo for an extended amount of time because of what his dad said. And he's like, I'm just kidding. Because you can't really sit Lonzo for what is happening. He's not the one saying this stuff. And it should be noted that, like, during that nine-game losing streak that they were on, Lonzo was out for six of those games. Like, Lonzo is already one of the best players on this team. So if you're saying, my son's really great, uh, they're on a losing streak because the coach is... No, it's because, like, one of the best players is sitting down. Who happens to be yes. his son, yeah. Um. <clears throat> so, like, just on, like, Lonzo just getting back on track because, like, we were a little rough on him early. Uh, so his pick-and-roll numbers overall are still down and, like, his, you know, overall stuff is still down. But you can see it flickering on, like, kind of player-by-player. So when he's running pick and roll with uh, Larry Nance Jr., per 100 possessions, he's creating 106, 107 points uh, per 100 possessions. Uh, like, doesn't matter who's shooting the ball. And that is with Lonzo, you know, just shooting really, really poorly on the ones that he takes up, uh, like, on his own shot. So, like, he's finally creating shots, uh, like, that are, you know, just high value. That's since December 1st, by the way. Uh, but he's finally creating, like, high value shots that, like... Early in the season, because he wasn't beating his man clean, because, like, he just hadn't figured out the timing of, like, an NBA pick and roll, like, they were just kind of shots that weren't quite as in rhythm for for the rest of the team, and they weren't going in, whatever. So this might be a small sample of just, oh, the Lakers are hitting their shots, but he's finding Kuzma, he's finding Nance, he's finding Julius Randle, like, he's also, like, doing really well with him. Brooke Lopez, still not that great with him. Like, if you're running with Kuzma and Ingram, not as great, but... Like individually, like that's what you want to see with a rookie of them finding like things that work for them and just banging on those. And like he's doing that finally. Mm-hmm. Okay. So one last thing just to, to close up the segment, I wanted to ask, is there anything to LeVar's criticism about the Lakers not playing hard? Uh, there was a note going from ESPN stats and info that I was curious what you guys' take was on it that the Lakers are actually moving around a lot on defense that it's a little tough to measure effort statistically, but they lead the league in miles traveled on defense with 18.1 per game according to second spectrum data uh and maybe it also has to do with the fact that they're the youngest team in the league but they're playing better than you would expect from from a team so young uh, especially considering they've played one of the toughest schedules so there doesn't seem to be anything statistically that you can kind of pick out and say oh the effort isn't there but i was curious what you guys thought about the criticism from both you know is there some metric that we could potentially measure this with and also just from the eye test the only critique i have of luke so far really I, I think I have a totally different view of kind of Julius Randle and how he's used. Sometimes he has games where he gets in for less than 10 or 12 minutes, and I tend to think that he's one of their two or three best players, at least right now. You still see a ton of potential in Lonzo. You see a ton of potential in Ingram. But I think with Randle, you kind of know what you're getting. Sometimes um, it might not be a great showing, but he's kind of consistent in at least what he's trying to do. And I think it's kind of manifested more this year than in previous seasons. And so that's the one big kind of uh, flaw I, I feel like I see. Uh, he said basically something to the effect of, you know, if I don't feel like someone's playing up to their capability, there has to be a ramification for that or a consequence for that. I don't really see that with Randall the way he does. But in terms of just the effort, no. I mean, if anything, I've said all along, I think the Lakers are one of the most fun teams to watch in the league this year. I kind of felt like that would be the case going into the season. Kuzma's been even more of a revelation. Kyle and I really liked him at Summer League, but he's been even better than we thought he would be during the season. Ingram has shown flashes. Lonzo, like I said, has had the triple-doubles and the near-triple-doubles. Um, 
this is a team that I kind of feel like has been just fine and, and for a while was a top five defense. Uh, they've obviously slipped. Uh, some of that has been Lonzo being out and other guys being out and missing time. But, um, you know, watching the way they played the Warriors and taking the Warriors to overtime and played them well the same way they have in years past, I don't see anything about this team that really, you know, jumps out at me and says they're not trying. If anything, they're trying and they're just not quite getting it done because of how young they are, and that's kind of what you would expect. Yeah, they're leading the league in pace factor right now, which also seems to be kind of an artifact of a young team, but a young team that's actually trying to use their their youth and their speed to their advantage. Okay, so let's leave the Lakers there and the uh, the Ball family drama, which I'm sure we will revisit at some point during the season. Uh, and let's hear a word from our sponsor. Does your business have any New Year's resolutions? Here's an important one every business should consider. Making your hiring process more efficient and effective. This year, let ZipRecruiter help. No one has done a better job of transforming how you find the right talent than ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter posts your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards with just one click. Then it actively looks for the most qualified candidates and invites them to apply. No wonder 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes and industries to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. And right now, lab listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash the lab. That's one word, T-H-E-L-A-B. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash the lab. One more time to try it for free, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash the lab. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. All right, let's talk about a team that it feels like we've dropped little bits and pieces of conversation about them all season, but never really taken a huge dive into them. That is the Minnesota Timberwolves, who continue to be one of the league's most interesting teams, most compelling teams, and most promising teams. Uh, right now, the Wolves are currently fourth in the West, three games clear of the Portland Trailblazers for the final slot that gives you home court advantage for at least one round of the playoffs, and that is a huge leap from their 13th place finish last year. 538's Carmelo model also has Minnesota as essentially a certainty to make the playoffs, which should end a 13-season postseason drought that dates back to Kevin Garnett's MVP season of 2004. It was that long ago when they made the playoffs. That is the second longest playoff drought in NBA history, trailing only the late 70s and 80s uh, Clippers. So first things first, with Minnesota, I wanted to ask you guys, what accounts for their sudden improvement this season? Is it just as simple as adding Jimmy Butler and Taj Gibson and having a bunch of young players improving? Is it about fixing those insane, blown late-game leads that you wrote about last year, Chris? They they blew, I want to say, 22 double-digit leads last year. Is, is it just all of those things coming together at once? What What's going on with Minnesota so far? So... I have an answer that is going to be probably against what uh, what Chris is saying, against what I know, against what Timberwolves fans are going to say, but it's Jeff Teague. Jeff Teague is doing a bunch of work for them on pick and roll. Like So per 100 possessions, he is giving them 100, uh, 100 101 uh, points per 100 possessions on pick and roll. That is better than Jimmy Butler. It's better than Jamal Crawford. It's obviously better than Andrew Wiggins. Um, and also better than Tyus Jones, who like they, they like a lot. It's, it's one of the best figures in the league. And uh, he's giving them a guy who defenses can't go under on. Like, they can't just say, okay, just 
Unlike up, unlike Ricky Rubio, um, unlike Andrew Wiggins, like he isn't uh, shooting a great percentage from out there. I think he's thirty six, thirty seven percent, but that's a respectable enough to where he is doing damage when defenses go under on him. They're, he's doing damage when they go over on him. When they ice him, like he's just playing really well in the pick and roll, especially. And like that's not something that like we had assumed was going to happen. Like he's more of a shoot first guy, like traditionally. Uh, but like he's playing really well with Taj, really well with Carl Anthony Towns. And like he's like bringing that offense together in a way that uh, we kind of weren't expecting him to do. So so Teague's been out, but like while he's in the lineup, like he is doing a lot for them. And Tyus has come in, and Tyus is doing like really really well. But while Teague has been in there, they've been very very good with Teague. And so like that's just something that like overall like their level of play. We I don't know I, I don't know about Chris, but like I was kind of under the impression that like they were going to be kind of on the fringes of the playoffs still even though they were projected by a lot of systems to be like up there in the top three or four um and now they're moving up and like so teague is out but like he's like provided a lot for them yeah and in addition to teague also i have to talk about you guys are definitely going to talk about jimmy butler but taj gibson those two off-season acquisitions are actually the top two players on the team in terms of plus minus when they're in the game relative to when they're out of the game yeah i mean it's it's hard to really look at anything but Butler at this point. I mean, there are a couple other things that I think are worth noticing. I, I've been really impressed with Tyus Jones. And honestly, like if I had the fortitude to see this preseason, I wrote about Minnesota. I went out there for some of their training camp stuff. And I actually basically said what Kyle was getting at, that I didn't fully trust them. I, I, I figured they'd probably make the playoffs. I didn't think they'd make it as an upper half of the playoffs type of seed, a top four seed. Um, partly probably buying into their history and how bad they've been and, you know, if they're cursed or what have you. Um, they, they made a lot of additions to the roster, but they were such big additions that sometimes it takes those guys time to gel. They had three basically stars, if you want to look at 20-point-per-game scores, which is really rare to have three at the same time and all have them at this age. Uh, with such young players as well. And they weren't really a team that was figuring to do very well on defense. And so I had a lot of questions. My biggest question, honestly, and this was the title of my piece, I think, was who's really going to pass the ball in this offense? They have so many guys that can score. Teague was one of the biggest questions I had. And every metric that you had to really measure um, – Tyus Jones with kind of suggested that he actually might be not necessarily a better option than Jeff Teague, but someone that helped that offense flow better, someone that's a low turnover guy. And lo and behold, he's filled in really nicely for Teague. They haven't necessarily won all those games, uh, but they just had a massive win over the Cavs in which the Cavs looked awful, maybe their worst game of the season. Uh, Tyus Jones has had a 4-1 to assist-to-turnover ratio basically for his whole career, but that's continued this season. But the real thing that they're doing lately, aside from Butler just dominating and putting himself maybe at the back end of the MVP conversation, they're playing defense. And that's something that, you know, when Thibodeau was hired there, we assumed all along he would do, get them to do. Um, but it was something that they were not doing at all at the beginning of the season. Towns has looked worlds and worlds better defensively, um, not being overly aggressive, which has been a problem for him at times. And they just, I mean, that makes all the difference in the world for them. They've already been one of the better offensive teams in the league, but now giving them a, a top 10 defense for the last couple of weeks has kind of made me rethink just a little bit maybe what the ceiling for this team is. But I don't trust them yet. I mean, it's a weird team that has a lot of mouths that have to be fed, 
on offense. Uh, but I'm really curious to see what they could be now at this point. Yeah, it definitely seems like Butler should be in that MVP con- uh, conversation. Uh, Tom Thibodeau was recently quoted as just saying he's changed everything for this team uh, in terms of his all-around game. Even he's second on the team in assist rate uh, in addition to all the things that he does on, on offense and defense uh, in general. And to your point about Towns, uh, I'd love to talk about him for a second because he's Incredibly productive according to the box score. Uh, he ranks among the top 20 in most uh, statistics. Uh, but he also seems to be making improvements on defense, which was one of the knocks that people had on him. He has a positive defensive real plus minus for the first time. He's in the top half of centers in that, which was kind of unthinkable uh, the past couple of years. The Wolves' defensive rating is 2.6 points per 100 possessions better with him on the court than off. Last year was 6.5 points worse. Uh, <laughs> opponents are shooting worse when they're defended by him. He's in the upper 25% of defenders in pick and roll defense. Is he underrated now? He he was only 8th in all-star voting among West front court players despite ranking 8th in the league in real plus minus uh this season. He seems kind of underrated. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um especially in the last couple weeks if you look at the breakdown of the entire season the defense really struggled in those first couple weeks and uh we've talked about it a couple times but like Jimmy Butler's numbers even and like a lot of that was because Jimmy Butler was covering for a lot of a lot of other people but uh like in the since uh I think I've looked this up earlier uh, I think since uh December 15th uh Towns's numbers especially as a pick and roll defender as a screener defender are like in line with some of like not the best defenders but some of the some of the better ones in the league so Towns um over like the last month or so has turned himself into not just a competent but like an actively good defender out there um, and like that's what we've been like, just waiting for him to do like his entire career to this point. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I still want to see it last for just a little bit longer. The, the Timberwolves, I can't remember if it was December or January of last year where they had one pretty good month defensively last year as well, and then it just turned right back into the regression that it had been before that. And so I'm hoping that they sustain it because, again, one of the things that's kind of frustrated me about the season is that you – I'm so used to seeing like a top to bottom just loaded Western Conference where you've got six teams that just are going to beat the hell out of each other come playoff time. Um, I don't feel that way this year. I mean, I feel like you've got the three teams there. Who knows about the Spurs with Kawhi and, you know, how healthy is going to be the rest of the year and how cautious the Spurs are going to have to be with him. And then you get past those three. And obviously those three, I'm talking about Golden State, Houston, San Antonio. Really, you know, Oklahoma City has been up and down this year, and you've got the Timberwolves, and the Timberwolves actually have the horses to do some real damage there, provided that they can really play consistent defense with the athleticism that they've got. So it is an intriguing team. I don't really see them as a team that's going to be a true contender this year, but within the next year or two, that should be a possibility given who their coach is, given who they have on this roster especially the money they're pumping into this roster. This is a an expensive team all of a sudden that is going to be in the luxury tax. Um, but if they can play defense and if they've really figured out how to win close games and not blow leads and who to put the the ball in the hands of at the end of a game, this is a team that could really cause damage. So I want to see them sustain this and see if they can do it. The defense thing is uh, just a big thing for this team too because they're so good in transition. They're, they have so many guys who can bring the ball up the floor. Like you see this especially with Towns uh, where when they're not always just taking the ball out of the basket and walking it up and Towns can grab a rebound or just like get an outlet pass for some reason and like we're throwing an outlet to the center and the center is going to dribble it up and like push the pace. Like they look ridiculous when they're doing that because like how are you going to account for that? Like it's like Towns like actually 
it's weirdly even better at this than like guys like Cousins or whatever who just like look huge and they're taking the ball up the floor, but they're causing like all kinds of problems while they do it. So it's just like the Wolves in particular are a team where just playing a little bit of defense or a little bit more than they had uh, changes the fabric of the team a lot. Yeah, and one of the big things on defense is Andrew Wiggins. We haven't talked about him yet. Uh, it's He is a player, I mean, we've been on this beat, I've been on this beat for a number of years, uh, as, as long-time readers will know. It, it's impossible to know whether he's any good or not. It, it's crazy. So, you know, some stats, all of the individual advanced stats have kind of gone backwards for him this year. Especially if you look at his, you know, win shares, PER, uh, all all of the plus minus numbers uh, that that are derived from the box score, he's having the worst shooting year of his career, despite the lowest usage since his rookie year, lowest assist rate of his career. Uh, he's shooting worse from three, shooting worse from the line, getting to the line less. I mean, this this is a, a crazy amount of backsliding for a player who should be making real strides. Even taking into account that he's playing next to a, a, a better, more talented team, that should actually be helping him uh, to the extent that somebody like Butler is not overlapping some of his roles. And yet at the same time, the Wolves are about 15 points per 100 possession better with him on the court than off, uh, which is pretty surprising for someone whose defense has been roundly derided over the years. And even his shot defense numbers, while not average even, they're, they're going up, uh, according to NBA.com. So is this a matter of just finding the right mix of players to, to go around him? He seems like a very specific kind of player that you need to have in a specific role with certain players around to maximize his value. Otherwise, he's sort of this throwback to another era that that has kind of passed the game by in terms of this like mid-range shooting, uh, you know, uh, one-on-one scorer type that doesn't really pass the ball that much and doesn't really do much other than scoring. But what what's you guys' take on Wiggins? He's uh he's had a really rough season. I, I feel like it kind of hasn't been talked about all that much for a couple reasons. One. They're having the best season they've had since KG, early-era KG, or mid-era KG, number one. Number two, I I, kind of feel like part of it, you know, the blessing and the curse of kind of being in Minnesota is that um, underperforming, you don't really get talked about too, too badly because it's not a big market. And these guys, part of the reason you don't really hear about these guys for all-star stuff and for, you know, not that MVP stuff would happen just yet for either one of them, but... You know, you hear so much about Porzingis and, and now you're hearing so much about Lonzo and all the rookies this year, Donovan Mitchell even. Um, Minnesota is such a small place and I kind of feel like you can transcend that if you're Giannis or if you have a really big, bright personality. Carl Anthony Towns, I love him to death. He's boring and Wiggins might be even more boring than Carl Anthony Towns is. And so I kind of feel like on the one hand, when they do something really big, it actually doesn't get the hype that it deserves. Carl Anthony Towns averaged 25 and 12 last year. His defense was crappy, but he averaged 25 and 12 as a second year player, uh, for a team that, you know, could use a real shot in the arm. And so, I mean, the fact that people didn't really know how good he was offensively and the sorts of numbers he was putting up offensively and, you know, that a lot of people still hadn't really caught up with how bad he was defensively. I feel like a lot of that stuff gets swept under the rug. I'm hoping with Wiggins in this case that it's mostly still trying to find a real fit um, with a, a totally new point guard, a totally different sort of point guard than he had last year. Uh, a guy that basically kind of replicates a lot of his best and worst qualities as an offensive player in Jimmy Butler. And obviously having, you know, an all-star caliber big who is going to take a lot of possessions out of your hand as well. But 
Um, I, I'm really curious because this is a little bit concerning. I, I want to give it the full season before I really make too many uh, judgments on it, but it's it's been a pretty bad season for him, even though the defense has improved. Yeah, so the defense has improved a little bit, and again, if we're using the you know the small sample of like, well, the deep Wolves have been playing a little bit better on defense. Um, so you can you can pick and choose like little things in there where like they're switching a little bit more recently, and Wiggins has been really good switching, but it's only you know a handful compared to you know the the balance of the season and on the season he's still pretty bad like picking up the switch and you know picking up everything else um but yeah like basically he's just duplicated in a lot of ways and in the ways where he isn't duplicated uh Jimmy Butler is just a lot better so like just for on ball defending which is a thing that you know Wiggins was asked to do a lot last season a lot less this season or not as much this season uh, Jimmy Butler is like still one of the best in the league where he's just depressing, uh, so for drives, uh, he's depressing, uh, the chances created off a drive that goes right at him to, uh, 79 points per 100 possessions, which is really good. Andrew Wiggins, which is, this is much better for him than it has been in the past. He's at 92 points per 100 possessions. Uh, and that's just a big, big gulf between the two of them. So even with like the improvement from Wiggins, um, in this stretch of like good defense, uh, the gulf between him and Butler on is just like enormous, and if he's not providing things that like Butler isn't on the offensive end or like in other p- parts of the game, and he isn't yet, uh, well, like he is, he's just being w- wiped out of the lineup. Yeah, it does seem like he's a kind of guy that if he's not scoring, he needs to work on doing other things and hasn't really done a lot of that but maybe there's hope that he still has enough time to improve in that regard the other thing that jumped out to me about minnesota is that their starting lineup has the fourth best scoring margin per 100 possessions of any team in the league and their bench has the fourth worst scoring margin per 100 possessions of any team in the league and i'm wondering does this sort of go back to what we talked about a few episodes ago i think it was in the q a about tom thibodeau's starter burnout strategy the way he coaches regular season Seasons that playoff intensity and kind of rings out, you know, a lot of performance out of his rosters by overplaying starters and and doing things that way. And that you know, once you get to the playoffs, on the one hand, you don't have to rely on the bench as much. And so that's maybe an argument that this team could actually make some noise once they get in because they already have that great uh, you know core of, of starters that they have. But then at the other side, it's just asked about the durability of the team and. Just without any kind of depth, are they, you know, an injury away from from having a complete catastrophe? Yeah, I mean, this is one of those things that you could kind of, you could kind of see some of it coming. I mean, one, probably one of the weirdest deals I saw, and I, I referenced this in the story I did on the Timberwolves right before the season started. I really wasn't in love with the idea of picking up Jamal Crawford. Um, the funny thing is that Thibodeau. He has this knack for how completely straight-laced he is, or, you know, crazy, depending on how you look at him and his strategies. Um, he, he's always kind of had this one renegade guard on his team. So he had Nate Robinson, he had DJ Augustine. Now he's got, obviously, Jamal Crawford there, but Jamal Crawford is really old. Uh, I mean, he's 37 years old. Uh, as recently as a couple weeks ago, I don't know if I'd use the word complaining. I think most of us like Jamal Crawford and dealing with him. But he definitely was saying that he was brought in under the impression that he'd be playing a lot more than he is. He's playing a career-low 18, 19 minutes a game this year. Um, which, I mean, frankly, of all the minutes griping that we do with Thibodeau, no, the starters should not be playing as long as they are, but Jamal Crawford probably shouldn't be playing much more than 19 minutes a game anyway. But I'm curious to see how the bench does because those guys do need to kind of spin their wheels a little bit. 
it's good to see Tyus Jones getting the opportunity he's getting with Teague out right now because you might really need him in the playoffs just even for a few minutes so that you don't fall off the face of the planet in those couple minutes where Butler comes off the floor or Towns comes off the floor. Uh, Thibodeau just has never really had a real trust um, in the idea of playing younger guys. Uh, he trusts his bench, but he needs a super bench to do it. He had the bench mob in Chicago that was really well established and got a lot of attention there. But those were all really veteran guys. Uh, think about the guys he had in Chicago. Doug McDermott, he really didn't want to play. Um, I remember Marcus Teague, he really didn't want to play. Now, granted, he's out of the league now, but he's always kind of had a disdain for younger players, which is why the idea of him taking the job in Minnesota was so interesting. Anyway, granted, those guys projected to be stars, but he's always kind of been slower about playing younger, less experienced guys because he is such a win-now person in every sense of the phrase. I mean, he also just doesn't have the the guys for it. So, I mean, Crawford traditionally has been, like, one of the best uh, backup guards in the league. He's 37, and, like, he's having one of the worst shooting career years of his career, if not the worst. Yeah, definitely on the downside of his career. An- another guy that has played that role for, for Thibodeau in the past was Aaron Brooks. Aaron Brooks is on this roster. Aaron Brooks is not very good anymore. Shabazz Muhammad is getting minutes in the role of the volume scorer in, like, the Thibodeau system, whatever. And... So, like, yeah, like, he's still doing the same things he's done, but like Rossetti just doesn't have the same level of talent on the bench. And so when you're relying on guys to come in and just be that microwave role, if you don't have a guy who can, like, actually pull that off, that's going to have a big effect on, like, the way that you, you know, kind of deploy your bench. Yeah. So the Wolves sounds like still a work in progress, but we should say that uh, the 538 Carmelo model considers them to be already the fourth best team in the league, uh, which sounds like a bit much, but uh, they, it gives them a 3% chance of winning the title. I think it would be higher if not for the playoff experience adjustment that uh, our boss Nate Silver added to the Carmelo model uh, going into the season. But I mean, this is a fascinating team for that that and many other reasons uh, that we'll keep in touch with over the rest of the season. So let's wrap things there and close out the episode with a segment that we like to call Small Sample. But first, let's have a word from another sponsor. Don't be the guy who winds up parking 15 blocks from the arena. It's too cold outside for that. Take an Uber ride instead. You won't have to pay for parking or walk across the lot or even spend time looking for a spot. And when the game's over, you can get picked up right out in front. So no walking blocks back to your car. Request an Uber ride anytime using the Uber app. It's a safe and comfortable way to get to where you need to be. You can even book your Uber in advance for a truly stress-free experience. Uber is the better way to get anywhere you have to be. You'll even know the price before you book a trip and pay directly in the app. So install the Uber app today from the App Store or Google Play. And new riders who use our code, the lab, T-H-E-L-A-B, one word, will get $5 off their first three rides. That's code, the lab, to get $5 off your first three Uber rides. Uber, the better way to get anywhere you have to be. Offer applies to new users only and expires on February 18th, 2018. Okay, this is the time of the show where we discuss an emerging trend that doesn't have a lot of data behind it yet, but might end up being meaningful before season's end. I'm talking, of course, about our small sample, and this week's version involves the Golden State Warriors' former MVP, Stephen Curry. Curry returned from an ankle injury that cost him 11 games a week and a half ago, and ever since then, he has been on 
fire. He's averaging 35 points per game with a 79% true shooting percentage. Uh, you know, six assists and six rebounds a night, too, over his past five games. According to John Hollinger's game score, this is Curry's best five-game stretch since February of last season and his second-best stretch since March of 2016 when the Warriors were in the midst of their record-setting campaign uh, during which Curry won the MVP. So, guys, is this enough to snap us back into realizing just how great Steph Curry is? I feel like sometimes we take his greatness for granted. Nah, he's garbage. Um, no, I mean, he's he's unbelievable. And I, I think what's coolest about the Warriors, and particularly with Steph right now, he, he is so much fun to watch when Durant can't play. And Durant is so much fun to watch when Steph can't play. And it it, it, it does two things. One, it, it makes me angry that there's like an embarrassment of riches like that in the league because I really, really – if it weren't for the fact that it would necessitate an injury for us to see it, I would really love to see the Warriors play down one of those guys um, in the finals or in the playoffs to just see. They basically did do that the one time. You remember Steph was out for a couple weeks. Um, he, I can't remember what it was, the leg injury he had a couple years ago in the playoffs. Um, and for a while we were thinking all of a sudden maybe the Clippers will beat them without Steph. Um, and then Chris Paul and Blake Griffin, I want to say, got hurt the exact same playoff game. And so we didn't end up getting that matchup. We ended up getting Portland and the Warriors instead. But if you were to have that situation now where if Steph went down, could the Warriors realistically hold their own and, and maybe win a title anyway? Um, or, if, you know, if, if Durant goes down, could they kind of just build around what they have and kind of bolster what they have? I mean, these guys go on 12, 13-game winning streaks without one or the other anyway. And so I know the regular season is a totally different game, but – it just unlocks Steph to play differently and to just kind of not ask any sort of questions or not wonder where he sits in the pecking order. They're obviously unbelievable anyway with the two of them playing together, but it just allows us to be reminded of how dominant he is and how much of a game changer he is where he can go off for 30 and a quarter. He could do that a lot. I just get the impression that he doesn't have to and that he's comfortable kind of taking a backseat. And sometimes Durant is comfortable taking a backseat, but it's just – it leaves you in awe sometimes just watching the way this guy plays basketball. Yeah, and Curry, uh, not that it's a good thing that he's been injured and kind of in and out of the lineup so much over the past few years, but that does give us actually a really good sample to know how good he is and and sort of which which is the fulcrum of this team is is it curry but no durant is it durant but no curry and over the past couple seasons even as you know durant has gotten more mvp traction i feel like this year than curry curry finished sixth in the mvp voting last season and yet at the same time if you look at the the numbers with or without each guy uh the warriors were a much 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 better team with curry and no durant than they were with durant and no curry and yet at the same time I feel like the perception is that oh well KD is on the team now he's the you know best player on the team and and it does seem like we've forgotten that Curry is is the engine that makes this this historic team run still right and especially with regard to the rest of the team and so th- this has been a big uh, discussion like while Curry was out and that like the Warriors were playing well of who's more important to the team and like there are two fundamentally different questions of like who will like who's easier to build around who's like more likely to give you like a bedrock top three in the West team like that's probably if you Kevin drop Durant. if you drop them down on like some random team right. right or or just on this team of just like who can like hold down the team of just like that's Kevin Durant like Kevin Durant can do everything even in the close series like we saw in the the finals sure but like Steph Curry is what unlocks the entire rest of the team he unlocks like the seventy three win Warriors team so what when he's on the floor. 
everyone shoots better. And this is true of, like, every superstar. Like, they have more gravity. Defenses pay more attention to them. Like, yes, obviously, like, it's just a fact that, like, NBA stars being on the court make everyone else better um, it, with a few, you know, notable exceptions. Uh, Steph, though, does it mu- at a much higher rate than the Durant does. So just, like, on basic on-off, uh, we can look at, like, what Durant does to, like, let's use Clay Thompson. So Clay Thompson, when Durant is on the floor, shoots, has a true shooting percentage of 61. When he's off the floor, he has, he's go down to 58. So three true shooting percentage points, uh, which is, you know, it's noticeable, but, you know, not huge. When Steph Curry is on the floor, Clay Thompson has a 66 true shooting percentage, which is ridiculous. When he's off, he goes down to 55, which which is like average. So Clay Thompson, one of the best shooters in the league, when defenses can pay attention to him as though he is one of the best shooters in the league and they don't have to just leap at every like just kind of gesture Steph Curry does, it changes the fabric of the team in a way that like Durant doesn't. Durant is just a basic, he's a very, very good version of the basic NBA superstar mode, which that's not what Curry does. He just changes the entire way the defense plays the rest of the team. That That's what's really going to make it. And before I get too far into this, I, I, when we were even lining up this small sample segment, I, I was thinking to myself, this has to be the biggest sample of any of the, the ones we've talked about so far. It's the largest small sample that we've had on the show so far. But, um, I mean, the, this data is going to be interesting to go forward with if and when the owners of the Warriors make a decision and say, we're not willing to pay to keep this team together anymore. You figure Clay or, you know, I guess Draymond, at some point, I can't imagine it's Draymond because he's kind of the heart of the team, but at a certain point, it's not going to be Curry and it's not going to be Durant. Clay seems like the most likely guy, even though he's said several times he doesn't really want to go anywhere else, he really likes this atmosphere, that he would be the guy that you figure a team would want to kind of bank on, another team would want to make a play for. Uh, you've heard his name come up even as recently as the summer where the Pacers basically said that they wanted to make a trade and send Paul George for Clay Thompson and that they turned that down. And obviously before that, Kevin Love and what have you. But the the numbers with Clay are really interesting just because we there's no doubt anybody that can score 38 and a quarter, 37 and a quarter, whatever he had, 60 in a game, um, you know that he's a dynamite scorer. He'd be good anywhere. He'd be at least decent, very good anywhere. And I'm even more convinced of that when you look at what guys like Victor Oladipo are doing when they get a chance to really showcase their ability. But honestly, I mean, there are some things that I feel like have been spelled out well enough to where you probably could say, look, if a guy like Steph isn't there, uh, there is a ceiling to what this guy can be uh, because you're just not ever, ever going to see the sorts of looks that you get in Golden State somewhere else. Because there is no replicating somebody like Steph Curry. He's just fundamentally different than anything we've ever seen. And I kind of feel like that's what people underplay when they talk about the idea of, is he the greatest shooter ever? First of all, I don't feel like we hear that question anymore because I think the answer is yes. And it's a pretty definitive yes. But he's different than any shooter we've ever seen because he's just lining up from so far away. And that's why it's going to be so interesting to see Trey Young when he comes in the NBA and really what that does to defenses as well. Right. And the thing with... uh Clay going to another team and like, you know, probably being able to show out. He can be a mid 20 score. He's already scoring 20 points a game on this team with this roster. He scored 22, 23 last season. Uh, so he can probably go somewhere to score 25 points a game, 26 points a game, be a uh, league leader in points, uh, play good defense, uh, just be an all around good player. But you have to contract a little bit on a great team, on a great roster, just fit a role. And that's what makes Curry so special because like, and we figured this would happen when Durant came in and it did to an extent of, 
they just need fewer of those 50 point curry games like the outper the outburst where like he would score 40 some and three quarters and sit the whole rest of the way like the Steph Curry game the the game on league pass where just everyone's you know texting each other you know you have to turn on league pass Steph Curry's going off there were fewer though fewer of those because they needed fewer of those but he's come back he's had this preposterous stretch since he's back and he is so special as a player, so special as like a shooter, a scorer, whatever, that he can do this in the context of a completely loaded like NBA like finals lock like this, which is rare. Like usually the guys who are just going off like this are on like more fringe teams, like teams that aren't as just stacked as the Warriors are now. Mm-hmm. And we should also note that Curry ran into some knee trouble on Monday, but uh, the prognosis seems fine. Uh, like a lot of the Warriors, he's sort of banged up, but staying in the lineup. Uh, and so we'll see if he can continue this hot streak uh, going forward. And I just love to watch the guy play. So uh, hopefully he can keep it going as long as possible. Okay, so that'll do it for this week's show. A reminder, as always, let us know what you think by emailing us at podcast at 538.com. Our podcast producers are Tony Chow and Katie Ferguson. Our podcast commissioner is Chad Matlin. Whatever your favorite podcasting app is, we are there. Whether it's the Listen tab of your ESPN app or on Apple Podcasts, you can subscribe at iTunes.com slash 538. Wherever you listen, be sure to review and rate the show. It helps others discover the program. For Chris and Kyle, I'm Neil. Thanks for listening and talk to you next time.